Welcome to Music History Monday for April 5th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Three's the Charm. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We marked the premiere on April 5, 1803, 218 years ago today, of Beethoven's Piano Concerto No. 3 in C minor at a public concert held at the Theater an der Wien in Vienna. Beethoven was the piano soloist and conducted the Theater an der Wien Orchestra from the piano. The title of this post, Three's the Charm, is meant in no way to denigrate Beethoven's Piano Concerti Numbers 1 and 2. Rather, it would indicate that this third concerto, completed when Beethoven was 32 years old, is the first piano concerto of his compositional maturity, and is thus packed with the sorts of modernity and expressive range that the phrase Beethoven's maturity implies. Beethoven's Academies In the Vienna of Beethoven's time, public concerts to which anyone could subscribe, that is, buy a ticket in advance, were called academies. When a composer staged an academy, the concert was additionally referred to as a benefit in that the profits went directly into the pocket of the composer. Staging a benefit concert was a big deal, though not without risk. It was a big deal because such concerts were usually the only way for a composer to put his music before the general public. Just so, when Beethoven staged his first benefit concert in Vienna on April 2nd, 1800, he'd been living there for eight years and while the aristocracy in whose homes he had been concertizing knew his music well, the Viennese general public was still almost entirely unfamiliar with it. These concerts were a risk, because while the profits might go into a composer's pocket, so too the expenses came out of pocket, and there was no guarantee a profit would be turned. That's why advanced ticket sales were the key. If enough tickets were sold prior to a concert, it would go forward, with the composer reasonably confident of at least not losing money. If ticket sales were not satisfactory, the concert would be canceled. Now, there were times when, unfortunately, good advanced sales were not enough to fend off financial disappointment and even disaster. Beethoven held his final academy on May 7, 1824, at Vienna's Tor Theater. The all-Beethoven program featured the premiere of the Consecration of the House Overture, Opus 124, three sections from the recently premiered Missa Solemnis, Opus 123, the Kyrie, Credo, and Agnus Dei, and lastly, the premiere of Beethoven's Symphony No. 9 in D minor, Opus 125. 
The pre-concert buzz was tremendous. It was the most eagerly anticipated academy in many years. The Viennese listening public was well aware that over 10 years had passed since the premiere of Beethoven's Eighth Symphony, and that his new symphony called for gargantuan performing forces. They knew that at roughly 75 minutes in length, it was three times as long as most other symphonies, and that its final movement featured a vocal setting of Friedrich Schiller's poem, Lied an die Freude, Song of Joy. Voices in a symphony, can you imagine? Such a thing had never happened before. The Academy sold out, as well it should. The premiere was a triumph. The critic for the Allgemeine Musikalische Zeitung wrote, quote, The effect of the symphony was indescribably great and magnificent. Everybody offered jubilant and heartfelt applause to the master, whose inexhaustible genius has shown us a new world, revealing the magical secrets of a holy art that we had never before heard or imagined." Unquote. It was one of the singers, the contralto soloist Carolyn Unger, who famously turned the deaf Beethoven around so that he might be aware of the incredible ovation the symphony received. A triumph, yes? But in the end, not for Beethoven, who had, as any one of us would, desperately hoped to make a monetary killing off the Academy. Beethoven's secretary, Anton Schindler, describes what happened. Quote, Josef Hüttenbrenner helped me bring home the exhausted master. I then handed Beethoven the box office report. When he saw it, he collapsed. We picked him up and laid him on the sofa. We stayed at his side until late that night. He refused both food and drink, then said no more. The next morning, his servants found him sleeping as we had left him, still dressed in the suit he had worn in the concert hall." Unquote. What happened? The final expenses for Beethoven's gargantuan symphony were themselves gargantuan and he made next to nothing for this his magnum opus. I freaking would have collapsed as well. Along with being a financial risk, an academy as a public concert was also a critical risk because they were reviewed and no composer, least of all Beethoven, who was as oversensitive as a flayed honey badger, wants to receive a bad review anyone stupid enough to claim that there's no such thing as a bad review has never received a bad review. Beethoven staged his first benefit concert at Vienna's Burgtheater on April 2nd, 1800. He showed great savvy in his programming. He used the occasion to offer up the premieres of his Symphony No. 1 and Septet Opus 20. But the program also included a Mozart symphony and excerpts from Haydn's recently premiered oratorio, The Creation. The programming 
did exactly what Beethoven wanted it to do. It showed respect for Mozart and Haydn, the great leading lights of Viennese music, and at the same time, placed his own name and music side by side with theirs. That first academy was a smashing success. Beethoven lined his pockets with the profits, and the public clamored for more. Accordingly, sometime during the second half of 1801, Beethoven began planning his second academy to take place in April of 1802. As with his first academy, the premiere of a major work would be called for, meaning a symphony or a concerto. And it just so happened that he had a concerto waiting in the wings, a piano concerto, his third, cast in the key of C minor. Beethoven had initially intended to offer up the premiere of his Piano Concerto No. 3 along with his first symphony on his first academy on April 2, 1800. But despite the fact that he began sketching ideas for the concerto in 1799, he had written little of the piece as that first academy approached. Accordingly, Beethoven decided to have the concerto ready for his second academy, slated for April of 1802. But that concert never took place. Beethoven claimed that it didn't come off because the gentleman who ran the National Theater, Baron Peter von Braun, wouldn't give him the use of the theater. We know this because on April 22, 1802, Beethoven's brother Karl, who was at the time acting as his brother's secretary, wrote the publisher Breitkopf and Hertel to explain why the concert had not taken place. Quote, My brother would have written to you himself, but he is at present not up to doing anything because the director of the theater, Baron von Braun, who is known to be a stupid and crude person, has refused him the theater for the concert and has reserved it for other utterly mediocre artists." Unquote. <laughs> With such badass bitching being more the rule than the exception for the Bafo Beethoven boys, it's little wonder Baron von B. brought Bupkis to bear on the projected academy. But in fact, it seems likely that the real reason the concert didn't come off is that Beethoven didn't have a major new work to offer the public. He was nowhere near finished with either his second symphony or his third piano concerto. All the evidence now indicates that he truly didn't put on his composing cap and seriously get to his third piano concerto until very early 1803, after he had suffered his hearing-related suicidal crisis in October of 1802, after he had completed his second symphony, and after his personal reinvention in the guise of a hero battling fate through music. This dating of the concerto makes it contemporary with the Kreutzer Sonata for violin and piano and the piano sonatas of Opus 31, works that show Beethoven power-walking down his so-called new compositional path. It was a path that put the necessity of self-expression above the niceties and conventions of classicism, a path that was to revolutionize the nature of the music and the role of the composer in the Western world.
When we return tomorrow and Dr. Bob prescribes, we'll get to the particulars of the concerto's premiere, the critical response to the concerto, and of course, my recommended recordings. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.